0: You pray through that. The Lord is my shepherd. No, love your enemies. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. And so then I look and I see that Nick is getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I, I I have these divisions in my Bible that talk about like this thing and then this thing. I know you have them probably as well. And so I look at the next division. He's talking about false teaching. I'm going. I'm glad Nick got that one. And then he. Uh, and then I look down and I see not everyone will say to me who says to me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Many will say to me, and I go, Oh no, are you serious? Like, that's the one I'm going to get. Thankfully, Nick got through that one last week. And so uh, we, get to, uh, we get to look at uh, a Palm Sunday message this morning. Some of you have been through more Palm Sundays than others. Uh, I'm, I'm not looking at anyone specifically. But, uh, but I hope to be able to share something with you that is fresh from God's Word this morning. If you would turn with me to John chapter 12. We're going to be in the Gospel of John this morning. So a little departure from Matthew. Nick will uh, wrap up the Sermon on the Mount two weeks from today, I believe. But uh, we're going to pause that for this Easter season. John chapter 12, and we're actually going to start at verse 9 and go through verse 19. Let's look at God's Word together. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that He, Jesus, was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, But that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. On the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Allow me to pray for us as we dig into God's word this morning. Father, I pray that our time spent together this morning would be edifying and beneficial for the hearers, not that we would come away with just a, a simple knowledge or assent, but that we would come away changed because we have seen Jesus this morning for who He is. And it is in His name that we pray. Amen. We're going to see this morning in this very familiar story, one that we hear every year around this time. We're going to see a crowd that is acclaiming Jesus, that is recognizing Jesus for who He is. Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of the people's songs, but not the fulfillment of their expectations. He's the fulfillment of the people's songs, but not the fulfillment of their expectations. A little bit of... uh, just a little bit of historical backdrop here, for us to understand uh, what's going on at this time in the text, because we tend to block Palm Sunday to the resurrection, kind of in its own its own little group. We view this as an isolated uh, isolated piece of time. It's it's not unlike a uh, not unlike an episode of a TV show that has nothing to do with other episodes around it, right? We we view it just in this one little frame, when in fact We've learned a lot about who Jesus is, about what he's done in the previous chapters, and all of those things are informing what we're going to see happening here during the Passion Week. So here are just some things that are taking place during the week before Passover. Passover, of course, is happening on a Thursday night going into Friday, right? So uh, we see these events are taking place. Number one, Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead. Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead. Um, Don't let your familiarity with that story help you to lose its gravity. There is a man who was sick. He fell ill. He died and was rotting away in a tomb. Four days after he died, after they had closed the tomb up, Jesus comes He is met by this family, and he is grieved, because this is not just some family. This is not just a centurion's daughter. This is his friend, Lazarus. Jesus cries. He's moved to tears. There are these questions of, they they don't ask because they know who Jesus is, but why weren't you here? What could have been so important that you weren't here to heal your friend? You heal strangers? Strangers? But not your friend Lazarus? And Jesus is moved. And he brings Lazarus back from the dead. Decomposing, smelly Lazarus. This is not like at the hospital where they get the paddles and bring you back just real quick. We're talking four days. That's a long time. Like rigor mortis has set in. Plenty. And Lazarus is back from the dead. And not only back from the dead, it's not just a party trick. But Lazarus is hanging out and eating. It's it's business as usual. But everybody in the town knew that Lazarus had died. Right? We're, we're, we're not talking about, like, greater Atlanta with millions and millions of people. We're talking about Bethany. It ain't big, all right? Now, they didn't have telephones, but they would kind of get around and say, did you guys hear Lazarus? died?" Yeah, where was Jesus? And so Lazarus is back, and you bring a dead guy to life work gets around. Like, that, that's a big deal. That's one really quick way to ruin a funeral. If the guy gets out of the casket, funeral over right? Lazarus gets out of the tomb. It's, it's like front page news in the Bethany Times, okay? So this happens, and then the Saturday before Passover, Lazarus is just hanging out, like chilling, eating jambalaya. I, don't, I mean, maybe. It doesn't say what they were eating, so we'll just assume. Uh, and then Mary and Martha are there. Martha's in the kitchen. Mary comes out, anoints Jesus' feet, doesn't realize that she is anointing him really for, for his death. Right? It's, it's very much in the way that they would for a funeral. And then this large, large crowd, look at, look at uh, ver, verse 9. Large crowd of Jews learned that he was there and they came. <laughs> All right, they didn't just come to see Jesus. Like they had to come see, is Lazarus really alive? Well, yep, there he is. Uh, so they come and see Lazarus who was raised from the dead. This is a big crowd of people. But not only did they come to see Lazarus, and the Jesus that raised him from the dead. And it's probably in that order. They go away believing. I suppose it wasn't enough to have the blind to see. And the lame to walk. And to turn water into wine. And all of these other things. They see Jesus bring back a dude from the dead. And they go. He must be who he says he is. He, he's the son of God. They come away believing in Jesus. The next day. is what our text tells us. On the next day. So, we're talking Sunday. Jesus, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him. All right. So, we have a large crowd of people who were coming up from Bethany with Jesus, and a large crowd of people who were in Jerusalem for the Passover. Passover is a big deal. Big deal. Wow, that was very Trumpy. Big deal. Uh, Passover is a big deal. It's like everybody comes to Jerusalem. So we're talking perhaps as many as 2 million Jews and Gentiles that are in Jerusalem at this time. This is the place to be in the world at that moment. Passover in Jerusalem. Many, many people. But all of the events of the Passion Week are emanating from the things that Jesus has done in Bethany. The crowds are coming and rushing into the city with Jesus. Jesus is going up from Bethany and people are following because they've seen a guy who raised somebody from the dead. So here's a little bit of history for you um, that's going to inform some of what's going on. They're meeting him with the branches of palm trees at the gates of the city. Okay journey with me for a little bit we realize that between malachi and matthew that there are a few centuries right between the old and new testaments there are a few centuries of time that passed we don't turn the page to like the next month on the calendar okay centuries pass in what we call the intertestamental period intertestamental period which yes you, is between the testaments old and new so i don't know if you ever caught this from the old testament but the Jews were somewhat of a, uh, they were somewhat of a people that were in wars a lot and taken over a lot and liberated a lot. Like, this happens a bunch over the course of a few thousand years. Well, in that intertestamental period, Jerusalem is taken over by a group of people called the Seleucids. If you want to write it down, it's, and, and I had to, uh, it's S-E-L-E-U-C-I-D, Seleucids, S E L E U C I D. For those of you that aren't writing it down this will be on the test later so i'm just letting you know take notes okay all right so it's ta- it's taken over by the seleucids and there's this cat named antiochus iv that means four in roman epiphanes antiochus iv four. epiphanes i guess he was antiochus the fourth and epiphanes is what they called him because if you got four other antiochuses in the house it gets confusing so they just said number four He desecrates the temple, 2nd century B.C., about 200 years before all the events that we're reading about. Okay? There's this group of Jewish rebels who get a little bit fiery when you desecrate the temple. And so these guerrilla warriors, uh, led by a guy named Mattathias, and then he dies because they're trying to take over the Seleucid Empire, and there's a body count. Uh, His son, Judas Maccabeus, which is so cool, Judas Maccabeus, which means the hammer. I will forever now be known as Andrew Maccabeus, the hammer, please, just in all of your communication with me. I think it's an awesome name. So they drive the Seleucids out of the temple. They become so pesky that uh, this, this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, is like, all right, look, 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 just take the temple. We don't want any trouble. Fine. Let's, we'll keep the rest, but you take over the temple. All right? So this event, get ready for a bell to ring, is commemorated by a new feast, which is called the Feast of Dedications. Or the Feast of Lights. Lights, Jew, Hanukkah. Yeah, this is where Hanukkah comes from. So they start celebrating it, and it's being celebrated even to this day, the day where they get the temple back after its desecration. So it's the Feast of Lights, which is now known as Hanukkah. Later on, a few years later, Judas Maccabeus, the hammer, his brother Simon, drives the Seleucids out of Jerusalem once and for all. He is proclaimed a national hero. He's given a parade. It's like when somebody wins the World Series or the NBA Finals or uh, the Super Bowl. Like they they go down the duck boats in the town and they have all the confetti and all this sort of stuff. That's what's going on just, you know, 2,000 years ago with with less confetti, probably. Uh, They have this parade. There's music being played and palm branches are being waved. They're waving palm branches. At that point, in history, the palm branch becomes a symbol of national identity. So it's not not altogether different from going to a parade and people waving American flags. It's a symbol of national identity. It says who we've been and it kind of harkens back to times where we've been prosperous in battle and these sort of things. So waving the palm branches is not dissimilar to us going to parade waving American flags. Okay? You picking that up? You with me? They even, after after the events of uh, the New Testament conclude, the Jews revolt against the Romans, and they even put the palm branch on their currency. It's a big deal. The palm branch is a symbol of national identity for the people of Israel in this period of history. So let's go back to our text. They heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, and they cut the branches of palm trees And they're waving them, and they're shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This crowd is waving palm branches at Jesus, and this is telling every good Jew that Jesus is the one who's going to liberate them from the Roman rule. This is very much like Simon Maccabeus, who drove the Seleucids out. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he is going to liberate the people of Israel. So he's getting a hero's welcome. There's a big parade in Jesus' honor. They're singing psalms, they're waving palm branches. This is something that would really click with the Jewish people. So Jesus is getting a hero's welcome. Now, let's look at what the people are saying here in verse 13, uh, the second half of verse 13 Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel. Now, your Bible may be like my Bible, where it delineates Old Testament things from things that are just being said in the New Testament. Mine does so through the use of capital letters. Yours might do so through the use of quotes. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the quote. And then even the king of Israel. That's the new part that they're saying. But what are they quoting from? I'm glad you asked. There's there's a series of psalms that would be sung, and our psalms that we have were meant to be sung. Uh, They'd be sung every morning during the Feast of Tabernacles. On the Jewish calendar, there are seven feasts. Uh, Passover is the first, and the Feast of Tabernacles is the last. And then we kind of cycle back around to Passover. Feast of Tabernacles is happening in the fall Uh, And then Passover is happening in the spring. So there's kind of a period where there aren't many feasts. But the Feast of Tabernacles uh, is a feast of rejoicing, of thanksgiving. So people are very familiar with what they're singing. It includes Psalm 113 through 118. They would have sung Psalm 113 through 118 every morning. They woke up and they worshiped. Turn with me to Psalm 118. Prepare to have your mind blown. Because when I read this, I thought, you're kidding. Psalm 118, we're going to start in verse 19. There may be audible gasps as you start to draw connections here. It says, open to me the gates of righteousness. I shall enter through them. I shall give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. We're we're quoting this on Palm Sunday. Right? See it? I will give thanks to you for you have answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, do save. Hosanna. O Lord, Hosanna. We beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. This is in what's called the Hallel. H-A-L-L-E-L. Where we get our word, hallelujah. These are songs of praise. But this passage, this is the one the people are quoting. This is the one the people are singing as Jesus the Messiah is coming into Jerusalem. So I'm talking with with Wes earlier this week, and sometimes it helps when you preach to be able to kind of bounce some stuff off of other people and say, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, I think this is the direction I'm going, and do you think this is okay? And so I asked Wes the question. I said, do you think they knew? Do you think the crowd knew what they were saying? I hadn't hadn't done all of the study that I needed to do. We're just kind of bouncing around preliminary ideas, and I'm saying, Do you think this is one of those divine things where where they don't know what they're saying, but then later on like they'll catch it and go, oh, wow, we said the thing. No. No, they they knew. This is the Hallel. This is memorized. They don't need a hymnal for this one. Okay, They knew exactly what they were saying. They recognized that Messiah is coming. There's no question at this point for the people who are at this procession that Jesus is the Christ. There's no question. They even say, Hosanna, save us now. You see, the people were proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, the one who will save them. But it's not going to be on their terms. It's not going to be in their way. Jesus is not the king who is going to ride in and wreck shop and start a war and drive people out with the sword. He's going to come differently. And it's going to fundamentally alter for these people what it is to be saved and what they need to be saved from. Jesus is not coming in as a conquering king, he's coming in as a humble conqueror. Kings would write in, and, and you guys know this and you've heard this before, but but humor me if you haven't. There's a war, it's fought the king will come in on the biggest horse they can find into the capital city of the conquered nation, and he is displaying his might and power, often in full military regalia with the biggest sword and the golden helmet, and he's on the biggest horse, and he's riding through lording over everyone that sees him. The king has rolled into the capital, and there's no doubt there's a huge deal that's made about a conquering king coming into the city. But Jesus knows better. Jesus knows better. In fact, Jesus is aware of prophecy that we're going to read in just a minute. And so he tells his disciples, not in this gospel, but in one of the synoptic gospels, he says, go find a young donkey or a colt that's never been ridden on and have it ready for me. okay. It's a weird request. (laughs) And and this this is actually why it's a weird request. So this is not a big old plow mule. For any of you that have done some uh, farming, and I know we have a couple of Mississippians here uh, who are friends of mine, so they, I know they're aware of what these plow mules are, right? These are big old things. My, my friend, uh, Pastor Dick DeBusk, used, used to have a big mule named Blackjack. Blackjack was, was near about a horse, a big mule there for pulling big stuff. This is not a plow mule that we're talking about. These donkeys in the ancient world are like, they're more like miniature horses, like Little Sebastian on Parks and Rec, like they're a little bitty Tiny, tiny horses. Like three of y'all got that, and we can be friends afterwards. Okay, I'm just telling you. Uh, these are little bitty donkeys. In fact, when people would ride these donkeys, they would have to lift their knees up so that their feet wouldn't scrape the ground. These tiny little things. And, and people weren't as tall as I was in the ancient world. There were not a lot of six foot four people rolling around Jerusalem in the first century that we know of. Uh, and Jesus is not asking for one of those donkeys, he's actually asking for a younger version of that donkey. So get this image in your mind. The people are expecting Jesus to come in riding the white horse proverbially, right? The conquering king who's coming in to drive out the Romans and to liberate them. And instead of looking up at a king, they're actually probably looking down at Jesus. They're looking down as Jesus rides in on a very, very small colt. Look at what it says in, uh, in John 12 of course I just moved my uh, bookmarkers, so hang me for a second. It says that uh, these things, uh, this is verse 16 if you're following with me, these things that his disciples did not understand at first but when Jesus was glorified then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the disciples as they do and, and boy we, we all tend to judge the disciples but we would be the same way Uh, without one thing and we're going to talk about that thing in a moment so the disciples are like did Jesus really mean to get like a little donkey like should we get him a big donkey anyway because it's going to look weird for Jesus to ride in on an itty bitty donkey well we better do what Jesus said because he just brought a dude back from the dead so apparently has a plan so they get this little donkey and then way later they look back on these events and they go Oh, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy. That thing back in Zechariah. Here is a subtle point that I don't want us to miss. All throughout the Gospels, we might see the disciples as a group of bumbling people without a clue. You don't have to raise your hand and confess this morning, but I have thought that. Thought, Peter, you moron. How do you, like, you're with Jesus. How do you not pay attention? Without The Holy Spirit opening our eyes. The Holy Spirit opening our eyes. We cannot understand God's Word. The disciples don't have the deposit of the Holy Spirit at this point. The disciples are not regenerate at this point. They're just walking with Jesus. So much so that a couple of chapters from now, Jesus is going to tell the disciples something that totally flips them out. It's better that I go away and I send the Helper to you. You see, right now, you're just walking with me. You're just looking at me. But I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and live through you. With the help of the Holy Spirit, the people are able to understand exactly what it is that Jesus was doing. So they look back on this, and they see, oh, this was prophecy. And it's in Zechariah. It's toward the end of the Old Testament. If you have to look up Zechariah, no judgment. No judgment. I had to flip around for a second. TBH, okay? Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Zechariah 9, 9 and 10. Near the end of the Old Testament. So if you're in Matthew, back up. And the word says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. And the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nation. And his dominion will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The people, they thought they needed a warrior king. They needed a David. They needed a Simon and Judas Maccabeus who would would drive people out of Jerusalem. They thought they needed a warrior king to come and to free them from oppression. But it's not what Jesus came to do. Zechariah even tells us that Messiah has come not to bring a sword but to bring peace. Jesus came to bring peace. He didn't come in on the tallest horse but on the smallest one in humility. Jesus is a humble conqueror. The people had a poor understanding of what they needed saving from. They believed that they needed to be saved from Rome who taxed them relentlessly, who imposed regulations on them that kept them from living the kind of life they felt like should be lived by the children of Abraham. They thought they needed to be set free from oppression that was political and often physical. They saw Rome as the enemy. But the truth of the matter is this, that through their sin and rebellion, they had declared God as their enemy. The people of Israel had gone away from the promises of God. They could not keep the law because the law was never meant to be able for them to be able to keep perfectly, but to show them their sin and hopelessness without God. Rome was not the enemy for these people. That's not who they needed saving from. They needed saving from sin, from their own rebellion. They had made themselves enemies with God. They didn't need Jesus to come and to kill. They needed Jesus to come and to die. For Jesus to die and to make a way for them to make peace with God. This is not just a story for the people that were there that day, waving palm branches. This is not just a story for people who maybe got it wrong and then after Jesus is crucified and resurrected, um, They see perhaps the error of their ways. This is a story for us. Perhaps you believe this morning that there are things that you need saving from. That you've lost a job and you need God's help to be able to make things financially. That you've lost family through one situation or another and you need God to come and restore that. These are are things that are legitimate that you need saving from. But they're not the thing that you need to be saved from. If you have never repented and believed in Jesus Christ, you are an enemy of God. And not because God has declared you so, but because you have declared yourself God's enemy. That we rebel and sin, that we would never seek God out. But the good news is that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. The good news of Easter is that Jesus didn't come in to free them from Rome, but he came to them to free them from sin. And so the things that you need saving from this morning are not these external things, but they are a condition of your heart that says, I can do it myself, that I can be good enough to earn God's favor. And it's just simply a lie. It's not true. You can never be good enough. You can never come to church enough. You can never go to Passover at temple in Jerusalem enough. There are never enough lambs to take care of this sacrifice that was necessary on the cross. And so this week as we reflect on the brutal events that are going to happen to this humble king, the brutal things that are going to happen to him. We see that he's a king that brings peace. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53 and let this prepare our hearts for the week to come. In verse 4 it says, Surely our griefs He Himself bore, and our sorrows He carried, yet we ourselves esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him, and by His scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. He was oppressed and He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Jesus is coming in humbly. To take the punishment that we deserve. Make no mistake. Jesus will conquer this week. But not in the way that the people think. If you this morning. uh, Find yourself. At enmity with God. That you don't feel like you're close to God. That you're separated. uh, There are uh, pastors and elders. Who are here this morning. I'll be around front here to pray with you, even if there are things that you just need to pray over believer uh, to make peace with God this week. We're here to pray with you. Let's pray now. Father, we look to this text and we see that Jesus is one who will bring life through his death and then through His resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. Father, I recognize that there are some here this morning who are not at peace with Jesus the King. Who would shout Hosanna, but not recognize what it is they need saving from. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would move in hearts this morning. As we prepare to... Worship throughout the week. Seeing the things that Jesus went through. Leading to the cross. And then leading to the empty tomb. May we be thankful that Jesus lived a life that we could not live. That he died a death that we deserve to die. To pay a debt that we owed. But that he rose again to bring us life and life abundantly and eternally. May you bless the hearing of your word this morning. May we leave changed. In the name of Jesus Christ, our King, we pray. Amen.